1: Glad you're here this evening. I want to encourage you to take notes. Um, I debated having handouts and things to give you and what have you, but I just thought I would just try to put some things together and just kind of let you take notes for the direction you feel God may be leading you as we work through this study and so I want to encourage you to take a few notes, jot a few things down. Um, I do everything digitally now, but back in the day when I did everything with my Bible and notes and what have you. I always found the best place to take my notes were in my Bible, and so I wrote up my Bibles like crazy. And uh, but that's up to you; however, you want to do that. Uh, but I think it's important when we take notes that we put our notes in a place somewhere where we can recall them and and be able to pull them back up and be able to to study from them again. So before we actually get started in this uh, in this study tonight, with this being 9/11, I thought it would be a a good time for us just to stop and pray and remember those that that died 12 years ago and remember those that gave their life and and remember those that have died since through the different battles and wars uh that we've had and and uh, for our nation and so I just thought we would take a moment and just uh, uh just remember and just pray. I remember that morning when the planes flew into the tower exactly where I was. We homeschooled the kids at that time and and so Debbie was just kind of getting started with the kids and I was getting ready to leave, and at that time we had our church over on Sixth Street, and I had a little office up in the front. So I was headed over, getting ready to head over to the church, and and I just looked at the TV before I ran out the door, and and I saw the news and the breaking news, what was happening, and and then we gathered the family around the TV and kind of stayed there uh, most of the day, uh, and just amazed at what was taking place. And then I remember we um, we opened up the church for prayer that that evening. Uh, many came to the church and prayed. Uh, we had uh, that next Sunday, the church was packed, but that wasn't just our church. Uh, churches all across America were packed uh, the Sunday after uh, 9 11 and several weeks thereafter. Uh, but it just seems like people so easily forget God. You know, once we come through a crosses and we get through it, then we kind of start going our own way. And so anyway, uh I kind of remember exactly where we were, and then I remember we had a uh our one year anniversary. We had a, a big service at the church on nine eleven I don't know if any of you guys remember that big service we had there becky and charlie and uh, and had the local fire department and that place was packed that night and so um, you know it's a it's definitely um a very surreal kind of um moment in a day, uh, but it's certainly Something we need to continue to pray for, and we need to pray for our current president. We need to pray for the the mess we're in with Syria and all that's going on there. Um, It's you know, and I'm not going to get on political views and on all of that, but let's just really pray. I think that God just intervenes in in our situation and leads and guides and directs us and protects us. And um, does anyone have a have a thought real quickly on 9 11 before we pray? All right, well, let's just pray together. Father, thank you for this day you've given us, and thank you for your love for us, and thank you that you promise us you never leave us, you never forsake us, and and Father, even on 9-11, when it seemed like the world stood still, when we were being attacked, and the thousands that just lost their lives, and, and how difficult that was to watch, and and experience and go through and then the wars thereafter and all this taking place and here we are twelve years later god may we never forget um, may we just never forget those that sacrificed and gave their life uh, may we never forget those that that rushed into those towers uh, to help save the life of a fellow human being may we never forget the military men and women that uh, were deployed over into war and shortly thereafter and uh, Many of them, several, obviously through the years, have, have given their life. And, and God, would just never want to forget these individuals that sacrificed for us. And Father, I remember watching uh, the news even today and hearing the report of a 10-year-old boy that saw what took place 12 years ago. And as soon as he got out of high school, he went to the Marines. And, and then he was killed about 10 days later. And that family today is grieving, and all of that started back with 9-11. And God, there's just been so many that have given their life for our freedom and for our nation. And Father, we just want to thank you for them, and we pause to remember them, and we pray, God, for their families that are grieving and suffering the loss even still today. Father, we fast forward 12 years later, and here we are with a mess, it seems like, around the whole world. And it seems like we, we look around and we wonder who's, who's even in control. Uh, but God, we know ultimately that you are. And we just pray, God, that you would just lead our administration, be with our president. We're commanded to pray for him. Whether we agree or not, we're commanded to pray. I pray, God, for our senators and congressmen and representatives and all of those that are involved in the decision-making process I pray, dear God, that you would just stir in the hearts of, of our leaders and help our nation, God, turn back to you. We are so far from you. And God, I just pray that, that you continue to bless the United States of America. and God, that your people still call on your name and we look to you for, for leadership in every area of our life. We thank you for our church family and for each one that's here this evening. Bless the reading, the studying of your word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, well, tonight we're going to start the the book of Titus, and what a great little epistle this is, what a great little book this is. And um, there's only three chapters, and, of course, the book of Jude was one chapter, and uh, we had a hard time getting through that. Uh, But I promise I'm going to try to pick up the pace a little bit through the book of Titus, and hopefully by the end of our time together we will get through this book. But I thought tonight we would just kind of do an introduction really before we get verse by verse and start digging our way down through uh, this book that we would just have um, a time just to introduce the book and try to get a little background of the book and have a a little bit of an understanding of the book. And so I've broken it down into several different topics and questions and I want to speak to that just briefly and uh, you may want to jot a few notes down. the book of Titus is, um, is a book where where Paul left Titus in Crete to set things in order in the church. Uh, that kind of is the backdrop of everything that's taken place here. And so whenever we think about that, we think about the whole reason that Paul was writing this letter to Titus. I guess the first thing I think about is, and I think I've got a slide for this, is asking the question, who leads the church? Um, and I think Paul knew that although he founded many of these churches, and, and I'm going to throw a little something extra in there for you about that in just a moment. Um, although Paul founded many of these churches, he realized that he really wasn't the leader. Ultimately, Jesus Christ is the leader of any New Testament church, right? Uh, he's the leader of this church, Jesus Christ is. Uh, but the actual figurehead is are the pastors and the elders. And that's what Paul left Titus at Crete for to set in order. There were some things that were left undone. Uh, there were some things that needed to take place there. And uh, so Paul left him there to instruct his young protege, this young pastor uh, that had been Paul's right-hand man. He left him there in Crete uh, to select these church leaders that could lead the church. Uh, and he laid out in the book of Titus, as well as First and Second Timothy, he lays out all the, the characteristics of, of this church leader. And really... God's standard for the people that are to lead the church—the pastors, the elders, the deacons—they uh, all hold tremendous responsibility in leading a church, uh, and that's what Paul left Titus in Crete to do. He wanted him. There was there was an assembly of church house house churches. Okay, not a, not assembled churches like we have. They were house churches in that day. Um, there were Christians that were gathered there. There were believers that were there, but they just weren't did not have things in order and Paul knew for things, for the house churches to thrive and survive that there was going to have to be some order brought to these group of believers and these people and that's what he left him there to do that he would stay there in creed and he would uh, ordain these men, uh, select these men, teach these men, train these men, look for the qualifications that that the Holy Spirit through the inspiration of the writing of Paul gave him for these men to fulfill so that the church could be healthy and and could continue on. But there's one other thing that, that you see as we read, there's only three chapters and I, and hopefully here at the end we're going to get a moment just to read through the book. Uh, but there was another issue that Paul wanted Titus to address and that was the false teachers that were there in the churches in Crete. Uh, I find it, I, I don't even find it amazing anymore because I've studied it and seen it so long, but. Uh, you know, anywhere the truth is there's always somebody that comes along with with, with a a false truth if you will. Uh, like we have the cross and you have the antichrist. you have the truth and you have the anti-truth and, and here we have believers or not really believers but false teachers and false prophets and false teachers that came into these churches and said, yeah, you can believe the truth of the gospel that Paul said but you must add this and that and the other and they were the Judaizers of that day. Uh, Paul dealt with them frequently as he was planting churches throughout Galatia around the region and all his missionary journeys. As he would go through and plant the churches, the Judaizers would come right behind him, and they would say, oh, yeah, but don't forget, you must also keep the letter of the law. Yes, you're saved by grace. I understand that. That's the gospel. That's what Paul's preaching. But also you must keep the letter of the law, and the men must be circumcised, and you must do this and that and the other. And and listen, salvation is, is by grace, is by... Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ through grace alone—that's it. Uh, there's no letter of the law that we can keep in order to to merit salvation, right? It's what, everything that Jesus did, nothing that we did. Uh, we don't even deserve to be saved, right? We don't even deserve heaven. But it's through His grace and our faith that we place in Him. Nothing more, okay? Nothing less. Just that. And so there was some false teaching going on there with the Jewish Christians, and Paul wanted. Paul wanted Titus to set those things straight. Now, do you think that's easy? Do you think that's easy for a pastor to gather in the assembly with a group of people where he knows there's some false teaching taking place, and he's having to stand and set those things straight? Uh, that's not an easy task. And and here we have Titus, this young preacher, uh, where Paul had uh, commanded him to do just that. So. That's a little bit about who leads the church. The next slide is—I you know, don't even think we got that one up there. We're two slides behind. Uh, next one, right here. The author of the book. Who who wrote who wrote the book of Titus? You know who wrote it. Who wrote it? Paul, the apostle Paul wrote the book of Titus. Okay, he is the author of this book. Now he probably wrote this book from Macedonia. Uh, matter of fact. Uh, it says in the book of Titus that for this reason I left you in Crete so so Paul was in on the island of Crete with uh, with Titus as well and he went away and then he wrote this letter now how many how many epistles did the Apostle Paul write? you know 13 he wrote 13 epistles in the New Testament 13 letters 13 books are accredited to uh, the Apostle Paul Three of the books are called the Pastoral epistles. And that's what we're looking at here. Titus is one of the pastorial epistles. There's two more pastorial epistles. Who do you think those are? Or that books, those books are? You have Titus and who's the other young preacher, pastor in Ephesus? Timothy. First and second Timothy. So you have first and second Timothy and Titus. That's the three Pastoral epistles where Paul wrote to the pastors and gave them direction what they were to be doing and how they were to be leading the church. What was the order? How did Paul write these letters? Here's what the order was. He first of all wrote 1st Timothy as far as the pastoral epistles are concerned. He wrote 1st Timothy. He wrote the letter to Timothy. Matter of fact you'll find when you study the book of Titus and you study 1st Timothy there, there's a lot of similarities there because he's really speaking to both pastors pretty much about the same thing that they needed to set in order and do in their churches. So you'll find a lot of similarity between 1st Timothy and and Titus. So you have 1st Timothy, the second letter, pastoral epistle he wrote was to Titus and then he wrote again to Timothy which is 2nd Timothy. So really the chronological order for the pastoral epistles are 1st Timothy, Titus and then 2nd Timothy. Okay, So we're going to be studying Titus and this is the letter that that he wrote there. I think it's pretty ironic here that Paul laid down these guidelines for selecting the leaders of the church for replacing the church leadership. He laid all that down just a few years, really, before he was martyred, before he actually ended his life. So I think Paul knew that his time was at hand. I think Paul knew that he had to get the word out to these preacher boys that they would get the church set in order because he was soon going to depart. And, of course, he wrote these letters just a couple years before uh, he was martyred. Well, who was the letter written to? We know who wrote the letter. Who wrote it? Paul. It was a pastoral epistle, correct? How many pastoral epistles are there? Three. No, pastoral epistles. There's three. There's Pauline epistles. There's 13. Okay? That's the ones that he wrote. There's three pastoral epistles. What's the order of the pastoral epistles? First Timothy, Titus, Second Timothy. Okay? So. Well, just. Through, through history and historians and Jewish historians and, and the, the events that were taking place in the letters is how the scholars come to these dates on these books. So who was it written to? Titus. It was really just primarily written to, to Titus, this, this preacher. Now, who was Titus? Was Titus a Jew? No. Titus was a Greek. Okay, he was a Grecian. He, uh, he, he was a Greek Christian, all right? Uh, He was a young convert under the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Uh, He really followed. You'll see as you go back and you read in the book of Acts, uh, you'll see many references to Titus and how he was there doing ministry with Paul along these missionary journeys. Um, So so he was a Greek Christian. He was a young pastor. um, And he was instructed to have faith in this, this behavior. Paul is real big about the behavior of a pastor. Okay? He's he's, he's really going to lay the law down about the qualifications for a pastor and the behavior for a pastor. And he lays that out with with Titus into this letter. But let me ask you this. Do you think this this letter is relevant even for us today, although it was written directly to Titus in A.D. 64? Do you think it's still relevant for us today? Yeah, sure it is, right? Wow, because we face a lot of the same things that that Paul was facing and, and that Titus was facing in the church at... Crete. Uh, there was immorality that was there, and there was false teaching that was there, uh, false doctrine and the such being taught. So, um, so anyhow, there's a lot of application even for us today. I want to talk just a little bit about the landscape, kind of get an idea about what was taking place on the island of Crete. Are you guys familiar with the island of Crete? Whenever you look at a map, do you know about where it was? Uh, it's, it's an island about 135, 145 miles long. It's about 34, I think it's at its widest part it's 34 miles wide, but it's roughly about 30 miles wide. It's right in the Mediterranean Sea there. It's just south of Greece and Athens, Greece is just south of that. Uh, that's the island of Crete. Do we, do we know anything, when you go back and you, and this I found interesting. When you go back and you study the Old Testament, Especially the life of David. <clears throat> I got to slow down here a little bit. <laughs> My belly said, ouch. <laughs> you remember studying the life of David and the children of Israel? There was always a group of people that were in the face of the Israelites, and tried to defile them. What group of people were they? Do you remember that group? Goliath was from that group. You remember that group of people in the Old Testament? the Philistines. you Remember the Philistines? Philistines, Philistines, however you pronounce that. They were always creating havoc for the people of Israel, weren't they? Well, guess where their homeland is? The island of Crete. Okay? They're really Cretians. They came from the island of Crete. I thought that was pretty interesting and as I was digging and finding some of that, uh, that research there. Uh, the Cretians were notorious. Get this. In the ancient times, they were notorious for immorality. They were notorious for quarreling and fighting. They were notorious for just being lazy. I mean, it's a rough bunch of people, right? I mean, fussing, fighting, quarreling, being lazy, immorality. And we know that Paul probably planted these churches there. Uh, but, and so, therefore, that's one of the reasons why he was concerned about filling these churches with godly men because of the society of the island of Crete. However, I want you to understand this. I think whenever Paul went to Crete to plant these churches initially, I do not believe that the island was, was, if you will, it was not virgin territory for the gospel. What I mean by that is that the gospel was already there on the island of Crete before Paul ever got there. I think maybe there were even a group of believers that were there. Well how do I come to that conclusion? if you go back over in the book of Acts chapter number two on the day of Pentecost you remember what happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two It's when the Holy Spirit came down and, uh, and that's really the the conception of the of the New Testament church and uh, the Holy Spirit came down he took up residence in the heart and the life of, of the believers right when the Holy Spirit came you guys with me and in Acts chapter 2, and verse number 11, I won't go back and read all of that, but you need to make a reference. I want you to go back and read kind of that whole uh, 8 or 10 verses right there and get an idea of all that's taking place. But in Acts chapter 2, verse number 11, it says, The Cretans and the Arabs, we hear them speak in the magnificent acts of God in our own languages. So probably there were, were some believers from the day of Pentecost that got saved there because the whole reason for the speaking in, in tongues and by the way this is not a, a tongues class and i've got some tremendous studies deep studies i've done on that There is no special unknown language that only God knows that you see people doing in churches today. What was taking place in Acts chapter 2 they were speaking in languages so that people could actually hear. They were unlearned men that maybe could not speak that language but had the ability to speak another language so these people could hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And That's what was taking place in Acts chapter 2. In verse number 11 it says that some of the Cretans were there. So no doubt they took that gospel that they had just heard and went back to their homeland, back into uh, the island of Crete and there started spreading the gospel and that kind of paved the way, if you will, for Paul to be able to come in there and plant and start this church. But what is certain, one thing we do know, that on the island of Crete there were Christian people and there were Christian churches on on the island when Paul left. Okay now we do not know how long paul stayed on this island we we have no reference to that Uh, we don't know how long he was there however we do know that when he left get this when he left the island we do know there were believers there and we do know there were house churches there but when he left we do know there were several things that were not in order there were several things that were not entirely satisfactory to Paul's approval if you will or to condition. There were things that still need to be done in the churches. There were situations that still needed to be addressed that were there. There were truths that still needed to be taught to the believers there on the island of Crete. So because of all of that Paul now leaves and one of the key verses I think is Titus chapter 1 and verse number 5 when he left Titus behind to straighten out what was left undone or unfinished and that's why we have the letter to Titus. It's a very detailed letter about some of the things that had been left undone that Paul wanted Titus to accomplish while he was leading there as the pastor. Now the book of Titus, that's a little bit about the landscape. The book of Titus has some tremendous teaching. And here's where I could get hung up and maybe spend way too much time. I'm just going to give you an introduction to it tonight, but as you drill down into these, you could just keep digging and digging and digging in some of these. But there's some tremendous teaching that's just as relevant for the church today as it was for Titus leading the church at Crete. Here's a few of them I put on the screen for you here. What are some of these teachings? What are some of these tremendous teachings that that Paul wanted Titus to teach on and that he wanted him to work towards first of all was the qualification of eldership he wanted him to appoint these men these individuals these leaders to be to be elders of of the churches Uh, the necessity of dealing with false teachers I've already talked briefly about that but Paul wanted Titus to address that he said we have some false prophets in the group I want you to address it I want you to expose the error of their way and I want you to preach the truth Okay, And then the importance of sound doctrine. He reiterated many times to, to Titus, it's important that you preach the truth of the word. And there's a tremendous amount of emphasis in the book of Titus for the preacher to preach the book, to preach the truth of the word of God. In the midst of a society and culture that maybe doesn't want to hear it, Paul said you've got to preach it. Okay, We have a few more teachings. Uh, he's going to teach on how we are to live as Christian men and women he really lays it out. I like how he goes all the way through. Uh, if you want to scroll in your Bibles just briefly, uh, you can go, you see where he talks about the overseer in verse number seven. In verse number 10, he talks about many rebellious people. Uh, he, he alludes to them. In, in chapter two, verse, verse number two, he talks about the older men, how they are to behave. In verse number three, he talks about the older women, how they are to behave. Uh, In verse number four of chapter two, he talks about the younger women, how they are to behave. Uh, In in verse six of chapter two, he talks about the the young men, how they are to behave. In verse number seven of chapter chapter two, uh, Paul talks to Titus, the preacher, on how he is to behave. In verse number nine of chapter two, he talks to the slaves or the, in our case today, the employer, how we are to behave when we're on the job with our employee or or the employee, how we are to job behave when we're on the job with our employers. Um, And so you can see he's really addressing how we are to be behaving as Christian men and Christian women. Guys, get this. Here's a little statement. You can jot it down and whenever I go off and preach revivals, this is usually a revival message that I preach. And the title of the message is, Belief Behaves. Belief Behaves. I can usually tell what you believe, let me scratch, I can always tell what you believe by how you behave, right, because we behave according to what we believe, right, and so belief behaves, and that's what Paul was addressing with Titus, yeah, hey, tell them they to behave, I'm going to tell you how they're to behave, right, that's what Paul's telling Titus to tell the believers in the church, so we're going to get some good stuff out of this on how, how we're to live. How do we to live? You got to remember, they were living in the mid- at the island of Crete, filled with immorality, filled with laziness, quarrelling, fighting, carrying on. The Philistines, the kind of, that's their homeland, if you will. I mean, a rough bunch of people. But yet he said, "You you tell them how they're to behave." In other words, what he was saying: when you accept Christ, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are what? Finish it for me. Become new, right? It's supposed to be a new way that we behave. Paul is going to address that um, as we get through this study a little bit. He's also going to be talking about the grace of God and salvation. He's really going to unpack the gospel. Uh, the Judaizers, if you remember, were coming in right behind, behind him and saying, Hey, you can believe this, but then add the law. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. He also talks a little bit about the coming again of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, about his, his coming again. All these subject matters we're going to deal with as we continue going through the book of Titus okay so let me let me share this with you what are some of the themes now if you want to just go through and and just kind of study topics or themes there's some good themes to to look at here Uh, I don't know if I have these on the slides or not Miss Cannon yes I do themes in the, in the book of Titus. Here's a few that I put on the slides for you. And you could go through and pick out a few more as well, but I didn't want to belabor the point too long. But faithfully following the gospel leads to godly behavior. And that's kind of what I just talked about. That's one of the themes that we're going to find as we navigate through the book of Titus. I mean, listen, we ought to take, we ought to take the book of Titus, we ought to lay it right down here at Victory Church and say, hey, here's our standard right I mean it applies for us today just like it did for Titus back in AD 64 uh, with being there in Crete Um, so anyhow faithfully following the gospel leads to godly behavior if a a person believes in Christ, then their actions and their reactions will reflect those beliefs another theme we find in the book of Titus is that the church's survival depends on having godly men to serve as pastors and leaders Boy, that's so true and Paul knew that was true and that's why he told them listen you've got to find these men here are the qualifications for these men place them as leaders in the church so that the church could survive and how it certainly depends on these these, these men for their for the, for the health and the longevity of the church uh, number three another theme leaders should be good citizens obeying the laws Treating everyone with kindness. That's a theme that we can find. As Christians, as believers, we should devote ourselves to good works. We should, matter of fact, you're going to see in the book of Titus that we should avoid quarrels, avoid division in the church, avoid stirring up wrath. You know as well as I do, there's people that they're just not happy unless there's a stir boiling somewhere. That is ungodly as I know. And, And Paul's addressing that. That's how they were in Crete. And Paul's addressing that with Titus. He said, matter of fact, Paul said, you put up with them twice and then you get them out of the church. I and mean, you're going to see that here in the book of Titus. He said, you deal with it once. And you deal with it. If they leave and come back. You accept them. If they do it again, they're out. There's, listen, there is no place in the church for all this quarreling and fussing and divisiveness. It's ungodly. It's of the devil. Amen. Say amen. Yeah, somebody. Scotch me here a little bit, okay? We're going to address that. Paul addressed that. I mean, these Cretans were divisive people. They loved quarreling and fussing and fighting one with another. And They were bringing that into the church, and Paul said, "Uh uh-uh. We're going to address that. We're not going to allow that in the church, okay? So that's a few of the themes, and you could could dig out many more, but that's just a few there. Uh, who, Who are the two main characters? You probably already know this. Paul and Titus. They are the two... Good job, Danny. Paul and Titus. They are the two main characters in the book of Titus. Paul right into this this preacher, if you will, okay? Let me give you a quick outline of, of the book, and I'm really going to give you two outlines, and I'm going to give you a chance to jot these down because I think if you can break down the book a little bit and study in it, it just helps you to comprehend it a little bit more. Uh, so I'm going to put these up here and give you a chance. And I'll speak on them and give you a chance to jot some of these down. But here's outline number one that we're going to go with. In verses 1 through 4 of Titus chapter 1, number one part of the outline is commitments of a faithful leader. And here, here you're going to see some of the commitments of the Apostle Paul. Uh, and he, he lays them out in his own life there. And um, says, Paul, a slave of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to build up the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness and and so you're going to see the, the faithfulness and the commitment of a faithful leader in those first four verses. In verses five through nine, you're gonna see the qualifications of a pastor. Now, I know this is disputed among Christianity a lot today, but you know what? There it is in the Bible. And if it says it, I believe it. And there it is. And these are the qualifications. All right? you know I've been challenged quite a bit with these qualifications but I'm going to stick with these qualifications and not what some man perceives they may be saying I'm just going to stick with what it says and I'll let God correct me if I'm wrong when I get to heaven but that's what it says okay and so we're going to have we're going to discuss the what's the qualification for my office that I carry here at Victory Church what are those qualifications well, Paul's going to unpack those for us here in this letter to Titus, and they're already unpacked for us in verses 5 through 9, and you can you can see those. Uh, let's look at them real quick. For an overseer, in verse verse 7, Titus chapter 1, verse 7, for an overseer, that's that's the pastor, that's the elder, for an overseer, as God's administrator, must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not addicted to wine, not a bully, not greedy for money, not... Uh, or but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding to the faithful message as taught so that he will be able to both encourage with sound teaching and refute those who contradict it. So that's pretty interesting stuff when you get in there and start unpacking, unpacking those. Let's go to three and four here on the outline. Number three is in verses 10 through 16 how these men must be silenced. There were false teachers in the church, and Paul wanted them to be silenced. And, and we'll see that in verses 10 through verse 16 of chapter 1. We get into chapter number 2, and here you're going to see the character of a, of a healthy church uh, from chapter 2. And it's really talking about these people that make up the church, uh, these, these older men, these older women, these younger men, the younger women. I mean, he doesn't leave anybody out. He says we all have a way that we are to behave uh, in our Christian walk. Um, so we're going we're gonna to look at that. Number five, he's really going to drill down on the gospel, uh, the saving grace of the gospel, the gospel message. He's going to unpack that for us. And he reads in verse number 11, For the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people, instructing us to deny, go- or godliness, deny godliness and worldly lust and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the, in the present age. So anyhow, there, we'll talk more about that. We get to verse, or, or breakdown number 6 and 7 in the outline. In number 6, you're going to see the preacher's authority. Uh, and he, he unpacks that for us in chapter 2 and verse number 15. Look what this verse says. Chapter 2, verse 15. Now, he just told him what all he's to be saying, everything he's to be teaching, all that he's to be instructing on. And he wraps it up with verse number 15 to, to Titus, the preacher, the pastor. He says, Say these things and encourage and rebuke with all authority. Now what Paul is doing is giving the pastor the authority of course what the Holy Spirit is doing is giving the pastor the authority to preach and teach the Word of God and then he says let no one disregard you. In other words that position needs to be esteemed and held up and respected but I can, I can understand why some people do not respect the office of a pastor because some pastors don't carry themselves in a way to be respected. I think it's a two-way street right I mean Paul even talks to Titus how he's to behave and if he's not behaving like he's supposed to behave then why should there be respect from the people so it's a two-way street there Uh, so anyhow say the things and encourage and rebuke with all with all authority all right so the preacher's authority and then the seventh part of the outline is the Christian's responsibility in a pagan society and that's chapter three verses one down through verse number eight this is how we're to live in this current world that uh, that we are living in all right and then uh and then there's one last thing number eight, a last word on relationships, and that's chapter three, verse nine through fifteen a final word on relationships and he talks a little bit how we are to uh treat each other and and love each other and care for one another and and he talks a little bit about that now there's a there's another outline I want to give you, and this is uh I don't know which one I'm actually going to go with right here, but this one is kind of breaking down broken down i should say in in two different ways. Uh, Chapter 1 is broken down really as the church's organization, okay? The organization of the church. And he deals with that all through chapter number 1. He talks about how we are to preach God's word. I mean, the word of God should be the center point of the church. I mean, that's what we lift up and esteem and hold. And he talks about that in verses 1 through 4. As far as the organization of the church, preach God's word, ordain qualified leaders, silence the false teachers, that's chapter one, okay? That's what we're to be doing, all right? Chapters two and three is the church's obligation. My wife's like, speed it up, speed it up, go to the next slide. <laughs> Number two here is the church's, did everybody get the, uh, the, the church's organization? Did you get those? No? Okay, let's back up. The church's organization. We have, we have preached God's word, ordained qualified leaders, and silence the false teachers and get the references there and that kind of helps you as you go through and you start reading this and, and uh, get little pieces of it and uh, be able to put it, put it together there.
0: <laughs>
1: and I could email you my notes just as easily and I guess either way you won't. But... Everybody got that one? All right, now let's look at the obligation of the Christian. That's the organization of the church. What's the obligation of the believer, of the Christian? And Paul addresses that for us in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Titus. And this is kind of lengthy. I think there's like 6 or 7 here, but uh, in verses 1 through 4, you have the older saints, and I think I've already alluded to this. You have the older saints, how they're to be behaving. You have the younger saints, the younger men and women, how they are to behave. You have the Christian slaves, which we don't have slavery today, right? But we do have a form of that, if you will, if you want to say, as an employer-employee relationship. How should we behave on our job? I think it kind of goes ties right in with how slaves were be, to behave to their masters. I think this ties in to us today. It makes it very practical. We can apply it today on how, how we're to be the best employee we can be. And we should be, especially if we, if we, if we profess openly that we're a believer in Jesus Christ, our lifestyle and how we carry ourselves on the job should reflect that so that we do not bring a reproach on the name of Christ or on the gospel or on the church. And so Paul is going to address that with Titus, and then Titus is going to address it with with the church. Okay, The letter D, the Christians as citizens, how are we to act as citizens? We're to be obeying the laws of the land. We're to be praying for our leaders, and um, he's going to address that in chapter 3. And then problem people, how do we deal with these problem people? And that's what he's talking about in chapter 3 and verse 9 and following. I like verse number 9. But avoid foolish debates and genealogies and quarrels and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Verse 10, reject a divisive person after a first and second warning, knowing that such a person is perverted in sins, being self-condemned. So... Uh, there's some rejection supposed to be taking place there. Anyway, problem people. How do we deal with them? And then the conclusion. He wraps it up. He wraps it up in verses 12 and following of chapter three with these final thoughts, where he says, "Make every effort to come to me in Nicopolis." I don't know. I, I went on Google Earth and I wanted to see where Nicopolis was. You know where Nicopolis is? It's a pretty cool place. About. Eh, not a bad place, Paul. He he kind of he he knew where to go to kick his heels up and kind of get ready to to leave this world. But it's kind of it's north of it's north of Greece and some northern part of Greece, and that's a very mountainous terrain area there. But then it it comes down into a a valley and a and a bay comes up in there and water and flatlands there, and it's kind of a nice little area there. But that's where Paul wanted to go for the winter time and and kind of spend his time there in in Nicopolis, as he says in verse number number twelve. That's what I love about the Bible. It's, it's real people and real places. I know Dave and Donette, I sit and listen to their stories all the time as they travel with the military, and they've walked some of these very roads that the Apostle Paul and others had walked and setting up churches and what have you over there, and, and they got some great stories about, about that. But I'd, I'd love to go over there one of these days. I don't know if I want to go right now. It's a mess over there, isn't it? Anyway, I'd like to go see it one of these days. All right, so, um, so that's kind of what I really had for you tonight. And we've got about 20 minutes here. Um, your homework assignment, I'm not going to read it for you. I thought I'd take time and read it. Your homework assignment is to read the entire book of Titus. Now, it's only three chapters, okay? You probably read it before you, right before you go to bed tonight. It's not going to take you long, okay? But I want you to read it. I want you to reread it. I want you to read it again. I want you to read it in another translation. You know, go online and read it in two or three different translations and, and get a, just get a good feel for this book because I tell you, this is a book that we need to live by even, even today here at Victory Church. And, and I really try to line our church up with, with what Paul has taught in Timothy and in Titus and, and I want you to see that and I want it to continue even long after I'm gone, you know. I don't know when I'm going to leave here. I thought it was last Sunday morning about 2.30, you know. But listen, we've got to be sure the church stays intact. And the only way it can is if we have a good working knowledge of the word of God. Okay? And so I think the book of Titus is going to be good for that. So, in closing, let me throw this out there. I debated whether I even wanted to do this or not, but I thought I would. If Paul were writing a letter today to Victory Church, now think about it. He'd been at Crete. He'd seen some things and he wrote back to the pastor, he said, here's some things you gotta deal with. Now I want you to put it in our context. Now I don't want you to shout out any answers, but I want you to think about it. I want you to process it. If Paul were writing a letter to Victory Church today about the things that needed to be done, situations that needed to be addressed, truths that needed to be taught, what kind of things do you think there would be in the letter because honestly that's the lens that I look at our church through oftentimes whenever I go a direction in a sermon or a sermon series it's because I'm looking through those lens at our church and addressing some things that will help us to grow past some of those those things that we deal with so I want you to think about that as you read this letter these were things that were happening in Crete a divisive group of people, a lazy group of people and I'm not saying victory is, I'm just saying what Crete is. A divisive group of people, a lazy group of people the Philistines really were from that, that island of Crete originally and quarreling, fussing, fighting, carrying on, but thankfully some of them were there on the day of Pentecost and they got filled with the Holy Spirit They received the gospel of Christ. They heard the gospel, received it, went back to their homeland. Paul shows up. There's Christians there. There's house churches there. Now he's left Titus there to set things in order. And he's evaluated the the land, the island, 130 roughly miles long, 30 miles wide. And he wrote Titus a letter. You need to address some of these things. If he was writing a letter to you personally, about Victory Church or about your own spiritual life? What would be some of the things he would address in your own life and maybe even in the life of Victory Church? Be kind, but, but think about it. Okay? And I don't want you to shout out any answers, but that's how we got to study the Word of God. Okay? It's, not, it's not enough just to have a head knowledge of what Paul was writing to Titus about the people in Crete and say, yep, we know what was going on there, and we just leave it out there. We've got to bring it into our world, okay? In my homiletics class, our professor drove home all the time, boys, you preach in three worlds. You've got to preach in all three worlds. What he said was, world number one is the biblical world. You've got to explain what was taking place in the biblical world. You've got to unpack that. And then number two, you've got to make the transition into the 21st century. You've got to make it relevant for our day. But then number three, you've got to get it in our personal lives. And it's got to come into our personal world. So that's the three worlds we've got to camp out in. The biblical world, we've got to bring it to be relevant in the 21st century, the world we live in today. But then it's got to to nail us. It's got to come home. It's got to center right in our heart. And we've got to look at it and say, God, what do I need to change in my life? If you were writing this letter to me in my Christian walk, what are some things that need to be addressed? Okay? And then hopefully, 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 I don't know, we need to pray that that God convicts us. Right? I know people don't like to be convicted of anything anymore, but we should pray for that. I pray for that often. God, if there's something in my life you're not pleased with, let me know, convict me. Right? Show it to me. And don't think I hadn't prayed that prayer since Sunday a week ago. Okay, God, why did I have this little hiccup? What's going on in my life? Right? There needs to be that self-evaluation constantly in all of our lives, okay? So anyhow, that's an introduction to the book of Titus, and the homework is to uh, to go and read that. Now, I'll I'll be having my sermon or my notes. For teaching that I'm putting together through this whole thing. If you would like to have those, I'll be glad to email those to you and uh, and you can have them. But I also want to encourage you, don't just lean on that. I want to encourage you to take your own notes and kind of jot some things down and, and let's work together through this book, okay? So we will start next next Wednesday night, right in Titus chapter 1, verse 1. and We're just going to start working our way through there and, and getting through this this great little book, okay? Alright. Got it? All right, that's it for me. Let me dismiss this with prayer. Father, thank you for your word. And, and God, this is what I fell in love with many, many years ago. We're just studying your word. And through doing this, this is what's led me to answer the call that you had on my life to surrender to the gospel. And I know there's other responsibilities as a pastor that that I have to deal with. But there's nothing I love more than just opening up your word and studying it. Help us, God, to fall in love with your word. And help us, God, just to grow thereby. Give us a spirit of understanding. And your word teaches us that the word of God is spiritually discerned. The only way, God, that we can understand is when the Holy Spirit illuminates our eyes our hearts the word of God and gives us understanding of what you're saying bless us Lord as we together go through this great little book the book of Titus in Jesus name we pray amen